Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. With the 10th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Phoenix Suns select Jalen Smith from the University of Maryland. Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Sam, James Jones has done it again. <laughs> he, yes, he has. He has certainly done it again. Yeah. Look, he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> he does not. He does not care about what any of you think. No. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. We'll I talk respect about it. it. But, wow. It's respectable. Like for a for a guy to be that confident. In how he feels about who he picks is a respectable thing. What sucks about it is when you're trying to run a podcast about the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> you have yeah, a that does suck. you have a limited amount of time to to research properly research. I might add the types of players that may be able to be picked at the at a certain area that they're going to pick now we always we always expected that there was a chance he was going to trade back and i think they definitely tried to trade back like that's not surprising at all uh and and i wouldn't be surprised if we actually could hear that confirmed the thing is i think tonight if it proved anything it's that the suns don't leak anything because they picked jalen smith if for some reason there are people out there that don't know what happened uh, the Suns picked Jalen Smith, a guy who was mocked commonly, I, I would say at the very highest in the late teens. 
All the um, way to yeah. the early 30s for some? He, he reached um, late lottery in a couple of boards, but, but mostly a guy who was in the 14 to 30 range pretty consistently. Yeah, 14 to 30, that's, that's pretty, pretty accurate. Uh, from Maryland, the college, I should say. I'm not actually sure where he's from. Uh, 20 years old, 6 foot 10, 225. Looks a little bigger than 225, I would guess, at this point. Uh, 7 foot 1.5 wingspan is what he measured at. 15 points, 10 rebounds, 2.4 blocks. Pretty impressive. And, and a yeah. shooter, like a shooter shooter, too, it seems like. Yeah, so I'm going to preface our uh, conversation here for basically the rest of this podcast with what we always, always, always say, yeah. which is that we are not draft guys. Um, By the way, sucks. I'm happy to yeah. not be a draft guy, but nights so like I. tonight make it I don't want to be a draft guy <laughs> on, a, on a night like tonight. I don't want to be a draft guy. It's, yes. Um, here's, but so here's what I will say. We brought in multiple draft experts. If you've been listening along with the pod over the past couple couple of months, we brought in multiple draft experts. We talked about wings. We talked about guards. We didn't really focus on forwards at all. And and I, I would say that I was thoroughly prepared to extensively cover maybe 10 to 12, maybe 50, as many as 15 prospects going into tonight, and none of them were, were this guy. Um, so I had to do a lot of kind of off-the-cuff research over, over the past couple of, uh, of hours. Uh, we'll do our best. Um, maybe let's start here, Mike. Just what was your initial reaction to the pick? Uh, I laughed. I laughed out loud uh, because it just was so shocking. There, Tyrese Halliburton was on the board. Which, Devin Vassell was on the board. Devin Vassell Kyra was on Lewis the board. Was on Kyra the board. Lewis Jr. Those was like, on the board. Those are like three favorites from, from Suns fans. Halliburton I've seen mocked as high as like fifth on, on people's boards. And ESPN which again, had it's high. just... James Jones, doesn't, he doesn't give a fuck. He took all of your unanimous big boards... And, you know, even in a class where we knew that there was going to be a lot of variance this year, he took all of your big boards and your mock drafts and he just laughed in the face of them, which, again, two years in a row for him to do that. There is something respectable about it, but it is a little bit confusing. You do have to wonder, could could the Suns have traded back and still gotten their guy and, and maybe gotten other things out of the process? Um, I know we waited to record this long, A, because I needed to get off work, but B, because uh, we were waiting to see the results of the second round um, up until the very end, trying to see if the Suns would kind of collect another pick and uh, and get anything else out of this night. But no, it looks like uh, Jalen Smith, a four slash five big man, um, is going to be all that they get out of the 2020 NBA draft. Yeah, surprising. I think almost it's the position I, I actually am okay with him picking a big man. I want to say for the record, uh, it seems to be that Aaron Baines is going to be gone. Uh, I think if this is something that sort of actually solidifies that, that would be surprising to me. But I do think that they probably wanted more depth at that position no matter what. Look, I, I haven't done a ton of research research into Jalen Smith yet, so take everything I say here with a grain, grain of salt. I knew who he was. I watched some film of him. I watched all, I've watched all of the Mike Schmitz videos, for example, uh, with the players, I like to see their personalities. Those are great videos. And they go over some film of the good and bad parts of the game. Pretty good. And then since the pick, of course, I've watched a few hours of footage now at this point. Just trying to figure out exactly if I can get some sort of feel for him. Uh, my first thought is he's a center. I'm going to say that right now. Uh, he He's listed at power forward. He looks and plays like a center for a few reasons. Not super... 
uh, mobile um, and likely not going to be a guy that can switch a ton. So, I, I, you know, that's the first thing I look at. He seems like a guy who can shoot relatively well. Uh, you know, I like all of that. But you know, let me let me let me throw it back at you, Sam. What was your initial reaction to, to the pick? Confusion. Uh, you know, obviously, to an extent. Again, I knew who he was, but like, why? Like, why the fuck are we doing this? <laughs> was my initial reaction. Yeah. And then there was. I'm not gonna lie. There was a brief moment of anger, not directed at Jalen Smith, the player, whatsoever, um, but directed at Robert Sarver, um, because <laughs> because I think it's important. Uh, it, it seems to be more firmly established. This is kind of like a, a segue to a different conversation, so I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole right now, but it seems to be more firmly established that the Suns aren't so interested in bringing Aaron Baines back. And because the Suns executed the CP3 trade when they did, kind of handicapping them to preventing themselves from being able to create all of this uh, cap space, that we know that they're going to go down this route where they're an over-the-cap team regardless um, I think that it's inexcusable. Mm. And again, free agency conversation here. But mostly, I think it's inexcusable for the Suns not to bring any of Aaron Baines, Dario Sarge, or Javon Carter back. Because the only person who it's costing any money to is, is Robert Sarver. They're going to be an over-the-cap team regardless. And if this move was the result of not being a basketball move, not being a guy where we truly believe that this guy makes us better in the long term, but just... We're not going to re-sign Aaron Baines. We need a backup center replacement. Then I think that is a terrible value play at number 10. However, that was my initial reaction. I want to get into the other stuff. After that, I was watching a lot of a lot of film of, of Jalen Smith. And I have to say, I agree with you. Um, he's mostly a five, uh, less of a four. Yeah. But the things that he does well, it is very, very clear to me that this is a player whose floor is pretty high. Um, and who will be able, whether Aaron Baines is back or not, whether Dario Saric is back or not, a guy who, at any position in the front court depth chart, will be able to help the Suns as early as his rookie season. Maybe he's not a great NBA player in his rookie season, but he will he will do things in his rookie year. And just all you have to do is look at the box score. Um, he is an insanely efficient, productive player um, by box score standards. He averaged 20 points. 13 rebounds and three blocks per 40 minutes at the collegiate level. That is very good. You're getting a guy who shot 60% on twos, 37% on threes, and 75% uh, from the free throw line. Again, none of this is like none of this is promising necessarily high starter level potential, but all of it suggests that his rebounding, his shooting, his touch, these are things that will pretty clearly translate. Um, at the next level. I think where it gets a little bit iffy with Jalen Smith and kind of what what I did after was I was asking other people who I consider to be more of an expert than me um, and ask them about his game. Where it gets more iffy is when we start to talk about the intangibles and the stuff that doesn't show up so easily um, on the box score. Mm. Um, But I think his floor is very high. I just think there is a question of what his ceiling actually is and and what the long-term value is here. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I, I... I tend to agree with you. He doesn't, I mean, look, he, he doesn't have, I wouldn't say he has any sort of star potential built within him, uh, but that's okay. Cause I think once you're picking at where the Suns are picking in specifically the draft that they were picking in, I don't know that any of those guys do even Devin Vassell, as much as I liked him, I don't see that in him. You know, I, he's still a role player, just a, just a high level role player is how I see his future. Although the Spurs took him now and they took who I thought was a high level role player 
in Kawhi Leonard once and turned him into an absolute superstar. So who knows now that they picked him, although that's a different Spurs organization, I think, than they had back then. So that makes a difference. It did hurt to see Devin Vassell on the board. The Suns skip him. Oh, no, it absolutely hurt. And then the Spurs picking him, like, that's kind of the worst. Now, I don't, look, I'm going to be honest. My hatred for the Spurs is, it exists, if you will, but it's just sort of a flame of a memory long past. It's kind of flickering, barely alive at this point. Because who are the Spurs to us? It's it's fun to beat them, and that's really it. There's nobody left that I care about. Uh, But still, it's the Spurs, and they picked the guy that I wanted. So I think that was the big thing for me is, uh, shock. I think that I did like legitimately sit there just sort of silent. I had a few, a few friends. We were talking on discord as the draft is going on. And then as soon as the Suns picked the pick, I laughed like a maniac for like a minute and a half. And then I just sort of sat it's there. Funny. Si- it's it's just funny. funny because we're all part of a Suns Twitter or Suns Reddit or yeah. wherever online community that has been debating for months these prospects and we do asinine things like we post oh espn has the suns taking this player on their newest mock draft and 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 in the era of james jones right to act like any of that stuff any of that speculation has any relevance i think you did a great job uh, when you let us off here at the beginning of the episode and just pointing out the fact that this is a very tight-lipped organization and i just think we need to come back to that because because if there's anything you get out of out of tonight it's that yeah. It's that none of the speculation yeah. matters in the future. Not with James Jones. Not until there's another yeah. regime um, taking control in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the yeah. Bain stuff, I think that, that, that threw you off at the beginning. That came from Gambo. And I don't know that Gambo has the sources within the Suns organization that he I don't used know. to. Well, he, he seemed to I be do. as... Con- Look, Gambo giving us seven players that the Suns could potentially pick as his big report before the Suns draft. That's not a normal Gambo, <laughs> that's one not of a them, normal Gambo report. Was, I do want to give him credit, though, because he gave seven players. One of them was Smith. And then if last gave season, he gave us the wrong week. guy entirely. You, yeah. You know, well, I think we have enough know. evidence. He may to have given out. seven players, but he did better than some other some other people yeah. throughout the night. Fair. That's fair to say. And, well, I think the point is they're relatively tight-lipped. And even a guy like Gambo who said Baines is gone, if that came from Baines himself, that's pretty reliable. Uh, I'm not sure about anything else. I, you know, I'd like to see what happens there, but I think it could be as simple as Baines wants to go somewhere else and maybe even already has a deal lined up somewhere else. And so mm-hmm. they just know that he's not coming back to the Suns. It could be as simple as that. Free agency episode, by the way. We're going to try and record one Friday night, so you at least have a chance to listen uh, Saturday and Sunday before free agency. Who knows how crazy it's going to be this year? I, I don't know. I don't really anticipate it being that nuts because there's not a hu- bunch of huge names, but it could get pretty crazy. But I think, just for James Jones, I don't think it's a surprise that a tight-lipped organization uh, is run by a former player. Because I think that when you're a player, you probably understand better than anybody what it's like to see your name in rumors. And I, I imagine it's not very fun. You go somewhere, you buy a house, and then all of a sudden, you might have to move. You might be forced to move. And the more and more rumors uh, that you hear with your name in it... the the more and more distracting it probably gets over time. So I'm not surprised that James Jones values that kind of secrecy, if you will. And I think it's great. Um, like I said, it, it may make our jobs a little more difficult, but that's okay. It's it's it, Ultimately, this is all for fun anyway. I do think he's got a type, though. He likes big men who can shoot. I, I, you know, yep. Aaron Baines, Dario Saric, Jalen Smith, even to an extent, 
Cameron Johnson. He's a really tall shooter. Uh, he seems mm-hmm. to like guys who can shoot. And Jalen Smith, he he can shoot. You watched a lot of footage too. What do you think of his shot? Uh, I I think it's uh it's great. Um, I think I mean uh, let me give me one second here. I want to pull up his stat sheet so I don't get the numbers wrong. Um, he shot thirty six point eight percent. Thirty six point eight percent on two point eight uh, attempts per game. So not like a high volume shooter, um, but I trust definitely to an extent that that this is going to be something that uh <clears throat> sorry that that translates for him i think um watching a shot a lot like first of all here's a big thing um he can he can shoot off movement and aaron baines can't do that at all yeah um so just you know for, if we're talking about an aaron baines replacement and a guy who's going to back up deandre ayton um some people will come out with criticisms that jalen smith is stiff but compared to a 32, 33, whatever Aaron Baines is, 33-year-old, I think, right. um, he, he doesn't look stiff at all. He'll, he'll right. protect the rim in a way that Baines can't. Yeah. And he can leap vertically in a way that Baines can't. Yeah, and on offense, he can roll to the basket and he can move um, when he shoots in a way Aaron Baines can't do any of those things. So I think that right there is a very appealing thing um, if you're James Jones. Talking about a shot. I mean, from what I saw, it looks very consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, he squares, he's got uh, a very nice square base. Um, it doesn't look like, you know, anything crazy is going down uh, in his legs. I don't know. I just, he looks like a confident shooter um, with fundamental footwork, basically. So, you know, I definitely buy that that's going to be something that that translates to the next level. And yeah, he just, he kind of projects as like, no maybe no star potential but he just does a lot of modern things that you want out of a big man like uh you know a guy who can give you 60 or 65 percent on twos because all they're doing is rolling to the basket and and finishing off dunks and and alley-oops and whatnot but then Mm -hmm. they can also hit the three on on the other end and protect the rim um it's just a it's a modern type of player i was looking up some pro comparisons um for jalen smith i think the one i most routinely saw which I know I truthfully just have not seen enough footage of him to to tell you guys honestly if I believe this or not. But uh, the most common one I saw is Miles Turner, which from mm-hmm. a surface level I think makes some sort of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Miles Turner is not a high level starter who's like a franchise centerpiece. Yeah. Um, but he's very good as part of a system, and I think the idea is that Jalen Smith can be um, a, a, a part of a greater system, and he can augment to some of the strengths. Uh, of that system if you use him right now again that's we're talking about his floor like all of the things that i'm talking about are things that jalen smith can go out there for 15 minutes a game right and he can just box out and hit threes and back up deandre ayton and cool he'll he'll be good in that role but is that justifying the value of a 10th pick i don't think so i think the only thing that justifies the value of the 10th pick and here's where we need to talk about the intangibles a little bit is can he play power forward for long stretches of time can he survive on the perimeter in the NBA in 2020 when most teams aren't going big anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, can he play with DeAndre Ayton in, you know, in the same lineups? Um, and I don't know if, if you have an opinion on that. I, I Look, I'll tell you what I see when I watch film defensively first. Let's just talk a little bit about, I think, defensively, because I think that's actually kind of interesting for him. The reason I see him and immediately think starter is a mobility and is specifically like a hip mobility, uh, a, a, an ability to quickly uh, turn your hips and, and shade on guards. Like I think Jalen Smith is the type of center. What draft Twitter will tell you is they'll say things like he can't switch. 
And you know what? Draft Twitter loves guys who can switch. And they should because that's a valuable NBA skill. But the reality is most NBA centers can't switch. They're not very good at it. Uh, most of them are incapable of that. When I see Jalen Smith, what I first think is this guy's not going to be in a defense that is switching every single thing because otherwise he's on set, uh, point guards and they're going to blow right by him because he can't uh, change directions on his hips and follow guys quick enough. I just don't really see that with him. Now, that means that he's going to play probably a lot of drop coverage. That's my first thoughts on that. And for a guy yep. like him, has insanely long arms, is super athletic and strong, he's probably going to get a lot of block shots like that. And I think if you look at his stats, like I said, I, I don't know if this is actually what they do in Maryland. I'm guessing he played a lot of drop coverage and he defended the rim a lot, and that's how he was able to get up to 2.4 blocks a game, which is really insane if you think about it. A guy who shoots 37%-ish from three and gets 2.4 blocks a game, I imagine that's not very common. We might have to run a query on that and see how many guys in college basketball did that at over six foot eight, six foot nine. He's at six ten. Uh, so defensively, I think he, you got to probably play him at center to get the most out of him. But I also think if we're going to switch a little over to offensively, when you have a guy like him, he runs the floor. He looks like a guy who runs hard. He's able to hit the three, and and the dude dunks like he really dunks. He, he throws it down. Those types of skills, the ability, uh, the motor, really, which I think is a skill, to run hard and work hard, and like a 37% three-point shooter, that's good at power forward. It's great at, at center. Like That's the type of thing that when you have that, those types of skills at center, it becomes even more valuable at that position. So I think for him, the question is, does he have the strength to be able to guard centers right away in the NBA? He looks really strong. I don't really know. Uh, I've seen. I mean, I think he's he's listed at 225 pounds, so he yeah. definitely has a ways to go. Aiden is closer to 250. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's got a ways to go, but he he looks strong enough. I think that he could do it against most guys. Yeah. But like, I, I'll I'll say this. I, I I'm I'm not I'm not unimpressed. I watched a lot of it, and I see. I I I just sort of say. I think I could see what they're thinking with this player, and I think for James Jones, I think it's important to say when he got to the Suns. He, he sort of sat in the organization for a while with a big uh, clown GM uh, as his boss. He saw all the problems with the organization and he targeted culture as the biggest problem with the organization. And he's been making moves, I think, ever since then to try and fix the culture for this team. And knowing him, he probably looks at Jalen Smith as a culture guy. I know nothing about his personality. I know nothing about his work ethic. I know nothing about the type of guy he is. But I imagine that those things, which are ten tangentially basketball-related but don't necessarily exist on the court, are part of the reasons that James Jones picked him, and I won't be surprised if those types of things come out later. Um, now, th that's mainly what I see when I look at him offensively and defensively. What, what do you see? Yeah, I, I mean, basically the, the same thing you see. Again, very high-level finisher. Very, very high-level finisher. I think that's just going to come to him from day one. I think the offense um, at the five will be fine. I think his defense at the five will be fine. He may not be strong enough for every center from the get-go, but his rim protection is legit. Um, it's just about the fit with can he play next to DeAndre Ayton, really. Frankly, that's that's the only thing. And, and there's a couple reasons I say that. One, because, again, he only took 2.83s per game at the collegiate level, so he definitely does have a, a jumper. But if he's going to play heavy minutes next to DeAndre Ayton, we need to get that up uh, in the modern NBA. We need to get that up to four, five, or six. 
Um, and he needs to really get comfortable. You know, he, he has shown some ability to hit jumpers off of movement. But as a big man, a, a six foot ten guy at the NBA level, that's never going to be your go-to. He just needs to, to focus on setting strong screens next to Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker. And they're going to find him in pick and pop situations. So that's number one. Um, number two, I think one of the biggest weaknesses here, other than his ability to move laterally and, and when you talk about hip movement, is decision making. Um, this is kind of the, the one big weakness he has that is very antithetical to what we believe James Jones's general draft strategy is. Um, given that the Suns just uh, led the league in assists with Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker next year, and, and .5 was kind of considered the um, catalyst for that, um, Jalen Smith averaged one assist and 2.2 turnovers mm-hmm. per 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. I look at those stats there, I don't really see a starting power forward, you know, like he needs to get substantially better. Low key, one of the one of the greatest strengths of the Suns' offense last year was that every single guy they put in the power forward position, except maybe Kelly Oubre, to be honest, um, was a guy who could make high quality reads out of handoffs and looking for cutters. Dario Sarge was able to do it. Frank Kaminsky was able to do it. Cam Johnson can do it. Um, Aaron Baines, even at the five, can do it. Um, so Jalen Smith needs to prove that he can do that too, and I'm sure that's one of the one of the instant focuses that that they will be working on with yeah. him because they need to make sure that he's not just a play finisher, but that he's also looking out for his fellow teammates and and working to be part of a greater system on offense. Because if he can't figure that out, and three or four years from now he's still a guy who averages one assist per game, it's again, it's just that's not a starting power forward. That would be a situation where he's reached his floor, and his floor is a backup five who is very good. But he he just wouldn't be able to reach like even a middle or a high level outcome in that case unless he can get to the point where he's making those reads. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm sure like, again, I don't know anything about uh, his personality, but I I have to assume that James Jones believes they can kind of fix that and that he's a higher character guy, a hard worker or whatever, who who they can work on those sorts of attributes with him. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I agree with a lot of that. Let's let's actually let's take a quick break and come back and talk a little bit more about this. Cody Hoyt speaking. This is Trooper Rick Ligarski of the Montana Highway Patrol. You're looking for a couple of missing teenagers. That's right. Last seen in a red Focus, Colorado plates. Are you sure we're in the right place? In the night. What's that? The steering wheel is getting all stiff. The truck. Lock the door. What? We're fine. Got ourselves a predicament. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates 
whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash blue wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts. Okay, something I wanted to ask you. Um, is the success, does the success of Cameron Johnson in the NBA give you mentally a little bit longer of a leash to trust James Jones uh, with this pick, being that it is sort of universally considered a reach, maybe a little less for some than others? And if it does or doesn't, do you think it's too early to think that way? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I'm a Cam Johnson fan. Um, I, I really, you know, I've grown on that pick a lot since when we were sitting here a year and a half ago or whenever the last draft was. I freaked out on our emergency podcast. I regret that, obviously, um, because Cam was able to prove me wrong in his rookie season. But at the end of the day, Cam Johnson was an outlier. Um, for a 23-year-old of his stature to to perform as well as he did in his rookie season. Most guys in his position um, are not as good as he is, frankly, as rookies. Um, and so, look, I mean, I, I look, the truth is, like, I'm not a draft expert. I've said it a million times, but I had made a list of, like, 10 guys that I wanted for the Suns at 10. Jalen Smith wasn't on the list. So I can't truthfully, like, lie to the to the audience here and be like yeah this is you know this was my favorite outcome (laughs) you know like i think i think the suns could have done a smart move in trying to trade down for like 18 or 31 or or something like there's a million things they could have done and they still would have been able to get jalen smith very easily and they would have gotten something else um out out of the process i don't think it's bad that james jones is so willing to ignore the advice of basically everyone in the community but I do think it's a bad thing to be overly rigid. Um, so, you know, it's everything in moderation. It's if this turns into a pattern of three or four or five years in a row where he just says, fuck you, I'm taking my guy and I don't care if it's 30 spots ahead of where everyone else thinks he should go. I think uh, Cam Johnson works. Jalen Smith very well may work as well. But eventually that's a strategy that's probably going to come back to bite him. Yeah, look, I'll be honest. I I do give him a little bit of a longer leash. And I think, uh, look, longtime listeners of this podcast will remember me saying things like, draft people, draft people are wrong all the time. And I like when they're wrong. 
And that's true. I think they're wrong a lot. And I like when they're wrong. I enjoy that. I think that uh, projecting a lot of these kids, in a lot of cases, uh, ability to, to succeed um, is a little weird. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's, it's because a, they're nerds. It's because and they're we, nerds. The Timeline Podcast, we hate nerds. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, That's why we use VORP so much. <laughs> uh, look, all I'm saying is I enjoy I enjoy when they're wrong. So I just think it's a it's more it's a more fun story when somebody succeeds that people doubted than when somebody succeeds that everyone thought they would succeed. So that much I agree with. I just find that more entertaining. So uh, it, you know, so I maybe I am more likely to want to give someone like James Jones a longer leash in a scenario like this. Uh, but I will say this. I want a general manager who feels confident enough to pick the guy that they want, regardless of where it is, assuming there's no real, uh, maybe there's two things. I think there may not have been an opportunity to trade back. And the other thing is their, their Intel may have said if they trade back behind a certain spot, they may not be guaranteed the guy that they want. Right. Say for example, there were rumors that the Pelicans were interested in Jalen Smith Maybe they maybe they wouldn't have picked him if Kyra Lewis Jr. was there, but maybe they thought, oh, maybe the Spurs will pick Kyra Lewis Jr. Like those types of things matter when considering trading back in a lot of scenarios. So I would rather, if they're worried about not getting the guy they want, they just pick the guy that most people consider a reach. Now, what has to happen next is that has to hit. Not every draft pick hits, but if he can hit at the floor that we expected to be at, maybe he'll be relatively good relatively quickly. When I Can I just say, mm-hmm. sh- what frustrates me about it, and I know this is not fair, because we've never seen James Jones in a situation where he has, and, and I feel like I have to preface here, I'm not saying James Jones is a bad general manager, but he was gifted to potential superstars, gifted, in Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. It makes sense that his strategy right now is to go for low-ceiling role players, because if we're being honest with ourselves, that's what both Cam Johnson and Jalen Smith are. Um, they can contribute to a roster, but they're not the system. Uh, can I... I just... Yes, you can interject. I'm going to change the subject. I'm sorry, but this just I just saw this, and it's Chris Paul, and he just tweeted, Congrats to all the fellas... <laughs> there we go. <laughs> ...that joined our NBA family tonight. So he knows, he knows. And those that didn't hear their name keep grinding. Chris Paul is memeing? <laughs> yeah. This might be he the knows. first time in it's... his career that no, that's, he's memeing. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Can I go back to shitting on James? Yes, no, continue. I, no, please continue. No, and again, this I is don't the guy that to... did uh, trade for Chris Paul, though. I, I will say. No, I'm not shit. That, oh my God, <laughs> sorry, people, I'm, I'm not shitting on James Jones. I'm just saying, <laughs> I know. when you have been gifted two superstars, I know we hate Ryan McDonough as Suns fans. I know we do. But when you have been gifted two superstars, it is very, 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 very easy to do what James Jones is doing and just go for the, the low ceiling role players every time. I cannot truthfully say that I would be like if Devin Booker, this isn't going to happen because he just got Chris Paul. But if Devin Booker asked for a trade tomorrow or the next year and we had to start from scratch and James Jones had to do the thing where he finds the next superstar, I I have my doubts about his ability to do that. Um, Mm. Maybe that's not fair of me because he's never been in the position where he really has to. But on the other hand, you could argue that the Suns really could have benefited from 
a higher ceiling player. Like if you thought, for instance, I was a big fan of Kyra Lewis, maybe Kyra Lewis could have been your next starting point guard uh, after Chris Paul. Now we'll never know. Wait, um, can I so just I ask you though? Let me just ask you. Yes. How many you can. teams? How many teams have won recently? How many teams have won championships with players that they drafted as their main superstar? Let's just kind of think through that. The Warriors, I think, are the most obvious. The most obvious one. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, how many teams have won recent championships in general that were small markets? You know. Yeah. It's you always you you gotta. It's tough. Look, all I'm saying is, I don't know that I just I'm not overly convinced that that's actually the the path always to to winning i think maybe you can luck out and get a guy who actually wants to stay but i think commonly with a lot of these young nba players they're going to be drafted to a team and then after six or seven years they're just going to want to play somewhere else <laughs> and, yeah, of course. and that just happens to be when they're good enough to win which i think becomes really difficult and yeah you should have all the assets and the best possible things but let I me think- just let me just ask you this though can you truthfully tell me that you think jalen smith was the best player available on the board at 10 I think it's cool that James Jones took the guy he wanted to, but but what do you think? I will say this. I have no idea. <laughs> and, and neither do I, and neither do any of us. Yeah. But it seems to me like if we're projecting him as a role player, based on the things he can do, I just, it's not that I hate the strategy James Jones is taking right now, because I know it's going to make the Suns a pretty good basketball team next season, but right. I want to win a championship. And to win championships, you need the best players available as your general strategy in every draft. And I just think, this is my overall point, if James Jones isn't willing to take the best player available, and I know we never know for certain who that is, but we can get an idea, maybe he's not that good at this. Look, Maybe he's not that good at this. I, um, the drafting part, anyway. Maybe he's great at the rest of GMing, but, but this, maybe he's not, you know, maybe it's not his thing. Look, I actually... I disagree with you, respectfully, obviously. Uh, but here's, here's the reason I disagree with you. I think when we consider guys that are the biggest swings, like you look at guys like Pokashevsky, I think is probably the biggest obvious example from this specific draft. Agreed. Um, I think that would have been a terrible pick for the Suns to pick there. For no, I, I actually I agree with that. Yes, but, but here's, here's the reason. I think it's more common that the guys that are considered the sort of high floor guys end up sort of exceeding that floor and becoming a star. than the guys that have the low floor, high ceiling hit the high ceiling. Like I think Donovan Mitchell's an interesting example, or even a guy like Devin Booker where you pick them sort of at that point where people are like, well, they should be pretty good. They won't be bad. And I think more often than not, those guys are the ones that actually exceed expectations than Guys like Pokashevsky, who he could, he could be great. But if that guy to be fair, to be fair with Devin Booker though, Devin Booker was an eighteen-year-old, and you know a lot of the gamble there was just that, like we haven't seen him in enough situations that there Mm -hmm. was a potential to him that was that was um, tantalizing. Yeah, and there's less of that with Cam Johnson and and Jalen Smith. Well, you know, um, Damian Lillard is another example. You know, there are yeah, he was an older prospect. Yeah, there are guys that just exceed expectations that are just already good. And and I think that, I, I guess the better way to put it is the chances at exceeding at those massive swings that you're talking about are almost relatively even with the chances at getting the guy that you consider to be a good player and all of a sudden them becoming a star later. Mm-hmm. I think that those chances are actually relatively even. I think it's just a roll of the dice either way. And I know that's not, that makes it harder for guys like us to analyze it. And maybe it makes the conversation a little less interesting for some people. 
but I, I just don't think that I, I don't necessarily consider those massive swings to always be the right way to go. I think it's probably most of the time better to just pick the high floor guy and, and then try and develop them right. And I think one of the keys to developing them right is a good practice facility. And this is well, not a joke. You, wait, wait, wait. Before we go there, because we're going to get there, we're going to get there. Can I ask you one more question? Yeah, absolutely. It's a crazy question. Okay. Because I like Jalen Smith, the player. I do think he's good. Like, I think, you know, if he does become Miles Turner, Miles Turner is a quality starting center, you know? Do you know where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Is there even a chance that Jalen Smith potentially endangers DeAndre Ayton's position in the future on the Phoenix Suns? Is there a chance? And and this is, I like, no, it's a crazy question, but like, is there a chance that Jalen Smith is so good within the first two years of his rookie contract that the Suns say, you know what? I don't want to pay DeAndre Ayton $30 million a year on his max contract. We're going to shop him for something else. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Um, but I hope so. And it's not <laughs> and it's not necessarily because I don't want DeAndre Ayton. I just think if you're put into a scenario where you have two really excellent players that have high value on a trade market and you have an opportunity to improve your team without suffering at that specific position... That's a good position to be in, uh, so I hope so. Um, I would con- like. Here's what I'll say: I'll consider it a non a non zero chance that that happens, and this is not necessarily because of my belief in Jalen Smith. It is more about how my disbelief in draft Twitter <laughs> and people who cover the draft and how often they end up being wrong. I guess is is a way of putting it. But, you know, I think it's unlikely. DeAndre is a physical freak and a freak of nature in in a lot of ways that, uh, you know, guys like Jalen Smith just can't be. Mobility is, we talk about it all the time, the most important thing at the center position now. And Aiton's got that in spades. DeAndre has the ability, the reason he was taken number one overall, he can drop just like Jalen can, obviously, but but he can also switch and he can do basically anything. Uh, He can hedge, he he can ice, he can trap, whatever. Um, yeah, Jalen can't do that. But I'm just wondering. I'm wondering if there's a, p- a part of you out there that secretly hopes that Jalen Smith pans oh, out yeah. not so that he plays the four, but so that we trade DeAndre Hayden for Bradley Beal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know. Yes, I do hope that. <laughs> Look, and it, like I said, it, and it's only because I think that puts the Suns in the best position to win going forward. And I think if DeAndre Ayton works out in a way that he absolutely becomes untradeable, that's also great. I, I root for both of those things. Uh, but yeah, look, I, I don't see, I don't, you know, it's almost silly to, to talk about that before we see. And him what in would NBA get game. those players to that point is training and development and bang, there's yes. your segue. Yes, Let's that's go. actually the point I was trying to make. And I, I don't think, look, I'll be honest, this is not just because an article about the practice facility came out. Like the the article about a practice facility did just come out though, and it was from Forbes, and it got me thinking about how crazy it was for a guy like Ryan McDonough to take the swings that he took without a proper development plan going forward. And look, if they had a plan, fine. But if you don't have the resources, that's a problem. Like you're setting yourself up for failure. We've talked about it time and time again. McDonough was the guy that should have picked the high floor guys. Like that's that's what you should have done because they didn't have 
the ability to tank. If you really want to tank, you do it like the Philadelphia 76ers. How did they do it? Well, they invested in all the technology and all the practice facility things, and then they started tanking. And that means that they combined that player development with the tank and including a lot of a lot of health stuff for them specifically because they were able to choose guys that were injured and then rehab them back up and get them ready for the NBA. Well, now the Suns have that ability. And see, this is what also raises, I think, how I feel about Jalen Smith because the Suns have a legitimate way to actually develop players now. Did you, Absolutely. Were you able to read this uh, practice? Yeah, I, okay. I was able to read it. But but before we get there, uh, why don't you just go into some of the new features for the people who didn't read it? It is fascinating. First of all, it's 53,000 square feet. Massive. Two separate floors, which actually not all NBA practice facilities have, which is nice because they can have different guys working on different things on each court. Uh, the entire center is focused on the basketball courts. That means the offices are set up with windows to the courts and every single room sort of feng shuis itself into the actual basketball courts. They spent $45 million on this. They call it the Verizon 5G Performance Center, which I guess we should say. That's uh, almost one Russell Westbrook, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's, one, it's one year of Chris Paul, <laughs> basically. <laughs> But what they did, I think, is they invested the right way. They installed what they called 150 cameras, nodes, and sensors in the ceiling on the walls of the practice courts. And then they developed some sort of application that combines real-time processing of what they call their shot tracker and NOAA, which is apparently a program used to track these guys. I don't know entirely about this, but apparently... The ability to have data processing live in real time is something that they considered tantamount, something they considered really important to actually developing these players. And that's the type of thing you want to hear about the NBA team that you follow. They're able well, to... I certainly, I certainly thought it was a funny contrast. You said 150 cameras and sensors mm -hmm. installed now. The previous practice facility had four. Yeah, four and probably just like an <laughs> analytics guy just with... Like with, yeah, a, with an old school camcorder on his shoulder, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> recording things on VHS tapes. Like, that's how I picture it at this point. We all know Jared Dudley has been talking about how bad the Suns practice facility is for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. That's how long it's been that they have been in the past. Add this to the list of reasons that Devin Booker's development is an absolute miracle <laughs> an absolute miracle yeah. yeah no that's that's a great point that is a great point here's here's what i like so much about it i'm a i'm a data guy this is all about data it's all about 5g bill gates scary technology whatever <laughs> uh there's it's a partnership there, who with knows, verizon yeah so it's a, yeah not verizon not microsoft but who knows what bill gates is really doing out there with the 5g that's <laughs> all I'm apparently saying. it makes your um, jump shot better that's my theory Spotify, give us give us a bigger platform. Let me onto Joe Rogan's podcast with some of the things I'm saying now. Um, the quote, the quote I really liked here: "The difference between high level teams comes down to decision making," says James Jones, three time NBA champion as a player I and love current Suns general in. manager. Yeah. Uh, and then he continues: "The margins are small, and analytics are a tool to help you increase decision making. These players want to get better, and information helps you improve. Our guys are interested in whatever advantage we can get." And here's the thing that I like so much about this. It means more coming from James Jones. It's validating if you're uh, mm -hmm. a guy 
in the analytics department who's working on some sort of machine learning algorithms. I don't know exactly what you're working with big data, big spreadsheets. Um, and, and you get validated because <laughs> that's what it is effectively, right? You get, you get, you get validated to this extent by a former player, whereas usually former players throw this type of shit in the trash and, and treat you like it's worthless. And I think the pitch of when James Jones, not, you know, when he brings free agents to the practice facility and they see not only all, all the fancy new literal physical like training equipment, but he also gives the analytics pitch. It means so much more to say we can take your game to the next level using analytics coming from a former player yeah. than it does coming from yep. a McDonough type. Absolutely. And there's a real there's a real chance there. This is why it's so important and it's so good that James Jones is the face uh, of the Phoenix Suns front office, even if not every single decision is is made ultimately by him. We could debate, you know, where is Jeff Bauer? Um, <laughs> he was one. in this article, by the way. <laughs> he was in this article. He made a rare appearance. But but this is why it feels so good to, to kind of have him there because he can really assure players um, – of we're going to use both the eye test and analytics, you know, yes. like we're, we're, we're just going to use whatever information we can possibly get uh, to get an advantage, but we're going to be serious about investing in resources. And, right. and, and this is where it's important um, to get that investment from Robert Sarver as well. A point that I've made in the past was uh, about the Miami heat, the Miami heat director of analytics, I'm not sure what his actual title is, but that's basically what his job is, is Shane Nerd. Battier. <laughs> He's a nerd. They're head of nerd uh, stats. Uh, their head of spreadsheets uh, is Shane Battier. And uh, I just always found that fascinating because I think the ability to have a former NBA player advocating for analytics to NBA players is such a useful tool for uh, a team to have. And, you know, uh, James Jones played on those teams. He probably understands that. He played in Miami. He probably understands that really well. Uh, in fact, uh, the guy from Verizon that was being interviewed in this article said uh, something about James Jones. He says he's emphasizing and prioritizing time with this. I would have never anticipated a general manager would take this kind of interest and be that concerned to have players and general exactly. manager of an NBA team take us this serious is pretty unique. And look, if you guys haven't read this article about this practice facility i mean it's 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 porn it's like it's porn for guys <laughs> like me and sam specifically where you read this kind of thing and, and you're just the whole time you're nodding and, and just kind of saying yeah yeah exactly exactly that's exactly right because they nail everything every element of the practice facility appears to be extremely well thought and ex extremely precise down to the the private chef the head the head chef that's going to work by the way they have a head chef something we've talked about in the past that matters apparently to guys like Trevor Reza and probably Chris Paul but the the head chef of this is going to be hired by a guy named Sam Fox who's a famous Phoenix restaurant where he owns restaurants like the Arrogant Butcher in downtown Phoenix uh this is a guy who uh knows restaurants he knows chefs they're they're they've even found the right guy to hire for the chef position. And you might say that's a small thing, but that's the point. What the best, what the best organizations do is they take even the smallest decisions and make, take them really, really seriously. That's the most important thing. 
and this is what so flab- made, made us so flabbergasted, I think, about selling the G League team. Because you want everything to be this. And I will say, you know, this is a bit of a Sarver redemption tour, I think, that we're in the middle of right now. Because if you're, you know, I think he, he looks at this practice facility as his baby a little bit. And you saw him give that tour on YouTube. You also saw when Woj was talking about the Phoenix Suns trading for Chris Paul, he mentioned Sarver's name multiple times on ESPN, on SportsCenter. That, that, to me, that's a little weird <laughs> that he's mentioning Sarver's name. Maybe not too weird because Sarver's the wild card, as we've always talked about. So that's why you got to mention him. But it does feel a little bit about like, like a redemption tour here. And you know what? This, they did this right. So kudos on the practice facility. I was completely blown away. I, I love it. I would like to yeah, see I, it. I love it too. Um, I will get there one day. I don't know if they'll when let me in. We are on the other side of this pandemic. No, they probably <laughs> they probably will not. Yeah, one of the interesting things I, that was in there too was that like the doors have like touchless entry, which is apparently something that they put in there after COVID because uh, they just saw it happening. So they had the ability of making the doors and the locks to the doors. I don't know if it's going to be a card or something that players have in their pocket, but they should be able to go into the doors without even touching them. Uh, I in just, other words, you won't be able to sneak in. Yeah, Mike. I can't sneak sorry in. To, I'll, sorry I'll, to say. I'll, unless I can, maybe I could like hide behind DeAndre Ayton. I'm only 5'9", so uh, <laughs> he, he towers over me, and I think I might be able to get him behind him. Uh, I think that this is vital for development of players, for keeping players healthy. They've talked even down to talking about tracking players' body language to understand when they're tired so you can dictate uh, rotation decisions as games go on, stuff like that. It's really, really fascinating. So, well, and, and when it comes to that sort of stuff, it's all the more critical that every level buys in. The players have to buy in; they have to see the value in it. Monty Williams has to buy in because he's the one ultimately deciding the rotations. Um, and James Jones has to buy in, and, and it goes all the way up to the top. But it's nice to see a consistent culture if that actually is the case uh, moving forward. And to kind of bring this all back around, because we did start, it is draft night. We started this episode talking about Jalen Smith. Um, yeah, these are the sorts of resources that give any prospect, yeah. it could be Jalen Smith, it could be anyone, a much more of a fighting chance exactly. to make it to exactly. his second NBA contract. Because we know about <laughs> half of these goal. guys. No, I'm not. But okay, but I'm not saying that's yeah, his goal. No, but you're we, right. We just know statistically speaking 60 guys got drafted tonight about half of them aren't going to make it to their second contract right um we want jalen smith to be even better than that yeah uh, than just a guy who hangs on for a few years um but just getting there in the first place uh this is the first step you need to invest in your resources and i think the suns have that now so we'll see what happens yeah you're talking about the confidence in him sort of hitting his ceiling well something like the practice facility and what they've created and the team around them like it matters to have james jones monty williams chris paul that makes you a little more confident. Like these are what you need in order to ensure that players have the opportunity to hit their ceilings. Ultimately, the rest of it is up to the players themselves. So you hope that James Jones is a good judge of character there or Jeff Bauer, whoever's making the decisions. Uh, Sam, you didn't, as far as I know, you didn't uh, sort of passively reference any indie song lyrics in this podcast. So do you have any specific lyrics that you would like to mention in Jalen Smith's honor before we end? I had not pre thought out any, uh, indie song lyrics in particular. Uh, I'll think of something by Friday when we will be back in less than 48 hours to preview free agency. Yeah. I'll give you something then. Yeah. Hopefully this draft will give us a, a good uh, idea 
of what kind of players to look at. So we'll talk to you guys soon. What you call an icon living? Start a record label, Miss Fish just did it. Nylon, couple five minutes. Whoa, we are too hot in the business. About to make a movie independent. Need new trucks independent. I need you to listen to the business. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.